Hi, this is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest in long-term recovery living here in Austin, Texas, and I want to welcome you to to the podcast. Um, If you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to visit our website. It's called Two-Way Prayer and teaches you the process of prayer that people did in the Oxford group and was carried over into parts of early AA, but then got lost. And uh, I think uh, a lot of mo- much of our, our work on these, these podcasts center around that. But we're doing a series here that goes in a little bit of a different direction, trying to go a little bit deeper into the influence of Carl Jung, the influence that he had upon Roland Hazard and subsequently on uh, a lot of people in AA, uh, particularly in the early days. And, and quite a number of folks uh, today who still study his work and uh, benefit from it significantly. Uh, As we go forward with this series, I'm going to talk about how it can be integrated into the process of two-way prayer. Hope it doesn't scare the heck out of uh, too many people, Uh, but uh, that was my guidance to do it, so uh, I'm uh, I'm committed to, to, uh, to the process. Uh, we'll start with some of the history just to kind of, kind of set us, uh, set us off here. Um, <clears throat> again, Roland Hazard, alcoholic goes and places himself under the care of Jung. Uh, Jung treats him and sends him out, uh, in search of a spiritual experience. He says, he says, alcoholics of your kind, Roland, I'm not able to help. You need, you need a transformation at a much deeper level than I am able to affect in you. So uh, that's what that's what happened to Roland. He he went in search of that. He goes and he joins the Oxford group uh, providentially, has a spiritual experience of some sort. We we don't know a lot about Roland Hazard. He was very private, and his family has been very private in terms of uh, his papers and things of that nature. So there's not a, not a great deal known about him. What is known is that he changed, and then he started helping alcoholics, and he helped uh, Ebby Thatcher, and then Ebby in turn helps Bill Wilson. Wilson uh, has his psychic change in Towns Hospital, and while he was there as, uh, as a patient, uh, they brought him a book, and the book was to help him understand in part what had just happened to him because something very strange happened. You know, he, he prayed uh, from the depths of his heart and mind and said something to the effect of, oh God, if there is a God, help me. He was desperate. And then he says the room lit up with a great white light and he was suddenly transported as if he was standing on a mountain and a spirit uh, of, uh, of wind, of air uh, blows by him. He feels the presence of God. That's the important part. He feels the presence of God. He who had been very separated uh, at his deepest level now felt joined. And, and I don't think there's an addict out there who, who doesn't know about this separation thing. 
because that's what I want to talk about in this in this particular episode, is the sense of separation that addicts feel at their core. All right. Uh, so so he has this psychic change. They bring him a book called Variety of Religious Experience, written by William James. And that was a book that was popular in the Oxford group, so not unusual that they would bring it to Wilson. Wilson said he wasn't much of a reader, but this book he devoured. And he devoured it because William James, a Harvard uh, psychologist who was known as the father of American psychology, uh, I mean, he's just right up there with some of the greats. Uh, he takes this transformation seriously. He takes the spiritual world seriously. And so did, so did Jung. That's what distinguished Jung from Freud. Uh, Jung believed that spirituality played a tremendous role in, uh, in, in the healing process. <clears throat> So <clears throat> James has a, a descri he describes many, many transformations. And here is his definition. It's a pretty well-known definition of the psychic change that happens. Uh, don't let it scare you off too much. It, it, it sounds uh, difficult at first, but I'm going to break it down into real simple language. And, uh, but here it is in the, in the whole. James says, to be converted, to be regenerated to receive grace, to experience religion, to gain an assurance. And we could add to have a psychic change or a spiritual experience. These are so many phrases which denote the process, gradual or sudden, by which a self, hitherto divided and consciously wrong, inferior and unhappy, becomes unified and consciously right, superior, and happy in consequence of its firmer hold upon religious realities. That's a mouthful. I know that. Okay. So here's, here's, here's the simple version. To have a psychic change, it can be, it's a process, okay? It makes that really clear. It's a process. And that process can be gradual, uh, the educational variety, as we sometimes say in the program, or it can be sudden, dramatic. But what happens in the process is always the same. And what is that? That a self, and we're going to talk a lot about the self, but here's, here he introduces that, that word, a self, hitherto divided and consciously wrong, inferior, and unhappy. Now, I don't know who doesn't arrive in the program feeling divided, wrong, inferior, and unhappy. <laughs> All right. So that, that's, the, that's, that's the original state that we come in with. So that state of division, internal division, see, uh, becomes unified and consciously right, superior, and happy. How? In consequence, because of its firmer hold upon religious realities. So, uh, well, when I come in and I begin to change, I change by, uh, A, healing the division that's inside of me. How? Through uh, 
connection with spiritual principles, moral principles, reality, new realities that were foreign to me. All right? So uh, let's dig in a little bit deeper. By which a self. So what the heck is a self? A self. All right? Kind of complicated. You know? Uh, a baby is born, and uh, it's not divided. It, 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 uh, it, but it's not, and, and it is conscious, but it's not aware of itself as a self. Okay? Uh, it's just in kind of la-la land, uh, attached to mother, sucking at the breast, all right, off to sleep. And then it begins that tremendous process of discovering itself as a self. There's a mouthful. Discovering itself as a self. You watch a little baby, you know, pure Beautiful. Look in their eyes. My God, you just see, you just see spirit. You see a little angel present, eh? You know, so I got seven grandkids, and it's just been a marvelous experience uh, to watch them, to watch them become selves. All right. Um, and, and it's a and it, that too is a process. Uh, and Jung said life is divided into two halves. In the first half of life, there are a certain set of rules that are going on. And then in the second half of life, there's a very different set of rules that are happening and governing my life. In the first half, I have to become a self. I have to, I have to become an ego, all right? Um, and, and God, if you've ever lived through this, it's, it's kind of a painful process, you know, with, with the kids. All right, they're uh, they're they're um, they're in need. They're in constant need of uh, of support, of food, of validation. Um, a lot of damage gets done to kids if uh, if they don't receive this nurturing from a parent or a guardian who who tells them what, who tells them how wonderful they are. You know. Uh, they do something right, and you pat them on the back. At a boy, at a girl, way to go! You're wonderful. I love you. And 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 human beings need this. We need this as we develop a sense of self. That we're God. You know. It, it, it's it's magical. It's wonderful. All right. It's um, it's nothing like it. And then we find out there's other selves. <laughs> Sibling rivalry comes in. Give me that. That's mine. Mine. This this self. This self uh, uh, has to go and continue this process of learning who it is. Um, we have to grow up. Harry Tebow, first psychiatrist who, who worked with uh, AA, said, you know, he studied, he studied alcoholics and he studied why did Alcoholics Anonymous work when his therapy with people did not work. And he said it was because they understood the alcoholic. 
They understood that he was he or she was immature and needed to grow up. Needed we needed to grow up. Um, that we had been stunted in our um, psychic growth. Uh, alcoholics are not the only ones to whom that happens, but we are ones that we had better learn how it happened and help undo it, or we ain't going to get sober or have a very happy sobriety. So, I mean, we got a very difficult chore ahead of us. Uh, to grow up is not easy. Uh, you know, uh, in Jewish folklore, there's a, I always love this, there's a, there's a, um, a story that's told that when a human being walks by, the angels must bow to him or her. Why is that? Because angels only have to deal with spirit. But human beings have to integrate spirit and body, psyche and soma, uh, in the more technical terms. We are a balance of the two, and I don't know anybody who gets it right. All right? So that, that growing up process, it's extremely painful. But out of it emerges a self. All right? We all come through the battle. No parent does it right. You know, we all gather our scars, you know, either they're too lenient with us or they're too giving in to us. Uh, either way, we're going to get damaged. Hopefully the damage isn't too great. Um, and, and in cases of abuse, of sexual abuse, of, of psychological abuse, of physical abuse, boy, there, there is genuine damage that is done to the to the self. The self really splits, all right? It, 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 um, so anyway, uh, we have to emerge. Uh, we, we can't get too deep into this stuff, right? Uh, but we, we, we emerge into a, a growing awareness, a growing uh, sense of who I am. Now, um, who I am is not who I thought I was. Uh, that's the first thing we, we got to learn. Uh, we put the package together, but then at some point it becomes undone. We call, we call that bottom. Uh, it's a crack in the ego system that, that is actually very helpful if change is going to come. Let's go back to Bill Wilson, four times in detox. You know, uh, he was a mess. He knew he was a mess. He was a bright man, but he wasn't bright enough not to drink. And he wasn't stupid. He was at war with himself. And there was, as we said in that third episode, that battle with the unconscious that was going on deep within him. You know, the unconscious was winning. If I go up against my addiction and it's just me against the addiction, bet on the addiction every time. All right. So that, that, that's why there's a need for, for a transformation. There's a need for, for uh, divine help. There's a need for um, a brotherhood and sisterhood to be around me, to create a wall between me and, and, and the illness. Eh? Um, okay. Um, 
So what is this ego thing? Ego, ego gets a bad rap in AA, you know? Uh, and, and, and I think it's really important that we understand it um, because you have to have an ego. Ego means what? It's the Latin word for I. That's all it is. It's my sense of I-ness. Who am I? All right? My sense of self. This is what ego means. Now, the trick is not to be, not to have an assessment of myself that is greater than the reality, nor to have one that is worse than the reality. All right? But if we don't have an ego, we are psychotic. All right. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, if we don't have a sense of self uh, uh, to deal with the unconscious mind, then the unconscious will overwhelm us. If you go into the back wards of the state hospital, you're going to meet people who do not have a sufficient ego strength to to deal with the stuff that comes up, and so the voices and the images and the and the obsessions and, and that stuff, it just it just takes them over. But you know, that's that's also what happens to us with our addiction. You know, we may not be crazy like them, but we are absolutely mad, insane when it comes to the thought of should I drink or should I not drink? You know? <laughs> and that's the unconscious. So Jung talked about the the ego as being like a cork floating on the sea of the great unconscious. But he made this this, uh, proviso that the ego is equal to the unconscious. It is equal to it. It is not subservient to it. It is not less than it. Uh, It is equal. But boy, it sure doesn't look that way in the beginning. And so integration, uh, regeneration, all those, all those fancy words we used, is, is a realignment of that, that self, that ego, with the unconscious. So it becomes a working alliance. Now, uh, some people have, have a little trouble getting in touch with the unconscious. And... and uh, To use, I tell you what, for the rest of the series, uh, I'm going to use a book. It's called Inner Work, Inner Work by Robert Johnson. I'd really encourage you to buy it if you want to get into this. Johnson does a really nice job. He's a student of Jung's, and he kind of puts into everyday vocabulary some of the Jungian concepts that are difficult to grasp. All right? So... In looking at the unconscious, he asks, have you ever found yourself kind of operating on autopilot? You know, you you drive your car and you're kind of daydreaming and you've gone five, ten miles. You're on a long trip and boom, you have like no recollection of how you got there. You know, You, you were you were not you were not conscious. But somebody inside you was driving the car, putting the foot on the brake uh, when it was time, uh, steering it from this lane to that. Automatic pilot, unconscious, uh, off I go. Uh, If you ever had a fantasy that kind of comes up 
and takes over your mind. And, and suddenly you're, you're, you're playing with it. You're, you're, certainly that's kind of, I think, the way it works when we talk ourselves back into a drink. That fantasy, those voices start coming into our heads. Uh, and um, they can be good or they can be bad, you know. Have you ever, this is one that, uh, boy, I can sure as hell relate to. Have you ever done something that was just so out of character? And then you've said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I just wasn't myself the other day. Well, my question is, if I wasn't myself, who the hell was I? <laughs> yeah, I was myself. But I was a part of myself that I'm not really aware of. I'm a part of myself that is divided. So um, this unconscious thing. At least two parts, and, and I think it's important that we, that we grab hold of these, and, and we'll go into them a little bit more deeply as we, as we move along. Um, uh, and, and I want to I also begin to use these in approaching two-way prayer. So the persona, uh, um, the mask. When, when we're growing up, uh, we, we uh, want to please and there are certain behaviors that please people and certain ones that get us into a lot of trouble. And so in the Greek theater, when someone wanted to become someone else, they would take up a mask and put it over their face. They didn't have wardrobes and all that sort of stuff. Just picked up the mask. This, this was uh, happiness. This was sadness. And the mask would, uh, would denote that. It's a wonderful term that Jung used. Uh, for how we begin to, um, um, to act, uh, to be acceptable, all right? Um, and so we want to develop this character that I'm smart. Sometimes, sometimes people ask me a question and, uh, and I'll lie. Jeez, I'll lie uh, in giving the answer when it's just as easy to tell the truth. Why did I do that? I didn't want to look stupid. I didn't want to look dumb. You know, do you know about this author? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I remember the name. Yes, I don't remember the name. And there I catch myself. Well, what is that about? That's the persona, the image. I want you to like me. I want you to respect me. I want you to, uh, to think well of me. Nothing wrong with that, all right? And then there's another part Jung discovered, and that was the shadow. So these are just two of the really major parts of the unconscious mind. The shadow. What's in the shadow? It's the unpleasant stuff, by and large. The things I don't want to see and I don't want you to see. Things I want to deny, that I want to repress, that I want to push down. A good image is to have is like the basement. I'm going to take this thought, this memory, this recollection, and I ain't never going there again. All right? It becomes part of my shadow. It goes deep into the unconscious. Out of sight, out of mind. Not true. <laughs> it's out of my conscious mind, but it's not out of my unconscious mind. And alcoholics and addicts, we are ripped apart by this conflict, this, this, um, this uh, split that we have deep within ourselves. And so inner work, uh, shadow work, each of these is uh, it, it's to get at this material. 
and and we do a lot of this in our in our fourth step, you know, uh, to look deeply at ourselves, at the feelings, at the thoughts, at the shame, at the guilt, at the stuff that uh, that we had sworn we're taking this stuff to the grave. To begin to let that stuff come out. All right. Um, Make make amends for it. What are we doing? What are we doing here? We're taking the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and trying to bring those two together. Right? That's that's back to that uh, we're a self-divided. All right? Needs to have firmer hold upon reality. Okay. Um, so we'll... we'll, we'll dive into some of that, and we'll, we'll look at how uh, you can approach some of that in your two-way prayer session. Got a little quote here from Robert Johnson I'd like to kind of finish up with um, just by way of introduction. And he says this, um, this is in his book, Inner Work. The inner life, Jung described, is the secret life we all lead by day and by night in constant companionship with our unseen, unconscious inner selves. When human life is in balance, the conscious mind and the unconscious live in relationship. All right? So, see, what is, what is unconscious, Jung said, wants to become conscious. And there is the tension. All right? I'm trying to push it down. It's trying to come up. All right? The trick, you know, the big book says we stop fighting everything and everyone. This will include our unconscious. We will allow those thoughts. I remember I was so deeply ashamed of, of the thought that I wanted to drink. I wouldn't tell that to anybody in early, early recovery. All right? I was ashamed of it. And yet once I began to own it, then I began to understand the nature of the unmanageable life I was living, how part of me wants to drink and part of me wants to stay sober. And there's a war going on there. So when human life is in balance, the conscious mind and the unconscious live in relationship. There is a constant flow of energy and information between the two levels as they meet in the dimension of, hang on to this, dream, vision, ritual, and imagination, all right? And this is the place of prayer. The disaster that has overtaken the modern world is the complete splitting off of the conscious mind from its roots in the unconscious. All the forms of interaction with the unconscious that nourished our ancestors, dreams, visions, ritual, and religious experience are largely lost to us dismissed by the modern mind as primitive or superstitious, all right? But there's energy there. There is tremendous energy. It's 100,000 volts of electricity that exists in my unconscious mind. And, and, and my conscious mind needs to be fed by that and empowered by that. It's the left brain and the right brain. 
You know, if I'm just approaching recovery with my with my left brain, my analytical mind, and leaving the right brain side, uh, uh, which is creativity, which is spirituality, if I'm leaving that untended to, boy, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty pretty damned unhappy, pretty miserable. He finishes up thus in our pride and hubris, our faith in our unassailable reason, we cut ourselves off from our origins in the unconscious and from the deepest parts of ourselves. Prayer that doesn't engage the imagination, that doesn't uh, bring to life the, the, the hidden world that is happening inside of ourselves, is, is, is it's dry. You know, there's no depth to it. There's no spirit to it. Um, uh, and, and, and yet this, this is what we do. I, I sometimes uh, go and give, give a talk when I was a chaplain at some treatment centers. Hey, hey guys, you know, I'm here to talk and you watch them. They're so dull. Damn, another lecture. And yet if you can kind of bring some of this this inner life that is in each and every addict, bring it to expression. Let people get in touch with it. Um, man, man they, they just take off. This is what they were looking for in the, in the drugs and in the alcohol. Uh, so this, this is what I want to get into a little bit more, more deeply in, in a couple more episodes. And I hope this stuff uh, hasn't scared the hell, hell out of too many people. Uh, it's really vital, I think, for understanding two-way prayer, and giving you some opportunities to go deep. So thank you so much for listening. God bless and keep coming back.